Good afternoon everybody and welcome to Transcending Together with Julianne and Lee. Good afternoon beautiful and amazing human beings. Thank you for joining us and thank you for staying on if you have from my previous show and if you haven't stayed on from the previous show and you're just joining us, thank you for that too. We love and appreciate you all. Lee's here with me in the studio. Hello everybody, nice to see you again. Well technically we're not seeing them. Oh, that's true. Huh? <laughs> yeah, but then we always say see you. you later. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us today. All right. So Lee has a few things that she would like to talk about this week. Although I have no doubt, given the subject matter, I will feel compelled to jump in. <laughs> so the subject that we're thinking about this week is workplace discrimination and equality. And Lee's got some thoughts on this. Do you want to start us off, Lee? Yes, thank you, Julie. So today, let's embark on a journey that cuts close to the bone for many of us. And it's a journey that takes us sometimes into the stormy and often uncharted waters of discrimination encountered by our vibrant community in workplaces. I just want to delve into this a little bit and explore some topics from the Equality Act and how that might actually be a double-edged sword to the hidden toll of discrimination in the workplace. How do we confront unconscious bias in the workplace? And then a subject that I'd like to highlight is the so-called closeted workspace and the fact that many of us in our community, in fact a concerning number of us in our community, feel compelled to hide their identities at work. Let's also have a look at discrimination hindering career progress and then have a look at unique challenges faced by transgender individuals and then we can have a look at representation and leadership from the LGBTQIA community and then to close off just talking about creating safe spaces in the workplace. As we spend the majority of our time in the workplace, it's a place that we want to enjoy going to and have safe spaces to talk about. So that's just in a nutshell, a, a quick overview. The one which for me was quite interesting was the unconscious bias. So I'm looking forward to that conversation because I went on a training course at work around unconscious bias and I was actually quite shocked. It was quite a wake up call. So what was the first area that you wanted to talk about? So let's have a look at the Equality Act of 2010. This was a significant milestone in the fight for equal rights in the UK and it integrated and streamlined previous anti-discrimination laws and put it into one basket with the understanding that it would offer enhanced protections based on nine characteristics including sexual orientation and gender reassignment which is what we particularly interested in. However, it has been half a decade since this act came out and it's time to take a hard look at this act and have a look at its strengths and perhaps identify some areas for improvement, particularly in our community and also particularly because it excludes non-binary and to a certain degree transgender individuals. So while it has a broad scope offering protection in various aspects of life, including employment and 
and education. What are the shortcomings to this act? You said it was 2010 that it was brought in, right? So it's yeah. 23 years old. Was that under the old Labour government? I can't remember. Or was that Tories? Did they bring in the I'm not act? sure. I think it was probably Tories. Okay. So certainly, probably because at that time, I think we've talked about this, that they were softened somewhat because they'd had to capitulate to the Lib Dems. I guess that might have had some effect on that. Yeah, could have been. And no wonder they're itching to have another quick look at it on their way out the door, right? Yeah, probably. So you said it was a double-edged sword. So what do you think are some of the challenges in the Act? I think it falls short in protecting individuals from indirect discrimination. You know, instances where policies apply to everyone disadvantaged, but not to certain individuals. And I think also the fact that the burden of proof lies heavily on the claimant, the person claiming to be discriminated in this indirect fashion, which makes it often difficult for individuals to seek justice and rather keep quiet. And then also the other aspect of it is the Act enforcement relies on individuals making claims to employment tribunals or county courts. And this process can be intimidating, right? And it's time consuming and it's expensive for the individual. And, you know, the fact that it places a significant burden on these individuals means, you know, people are going to keep quiet more than likely. Yeah, I'm always drawn to the comparison with our old homeland and the sense of injustice that people feel about affirmative action. Well, the minority people feel about affirmative action. Do you think that plays into some of the red flag issues that people on the right have? Because we've heard this quite a bit lately around in order to give trans women their rights, we're somehow taking them away from cisgendered women. And I can say that on this platform because it's not Twitter and cisgendered is allowed as a word on trans radio. So we shall say cisgendered as much as we like on this platform. Yeah, that is interesting because I was in South Africa through 94. When did you say you left South Africa? I came to the UK in 2003. Okay, so you went through it as well. The, yeah, the, I was the there. early days of affirmative action. I do think one of the challenges with it is that affirmative action was necessary to bring the majority of the people up to the same level as the minority whites had got to. So it was very laudable in that respect. But one of the things which always disappointed me about it was the extent to which one of the things that was true in the old South Africa was an unequal education system. So white people had that inherent advantage of having had a better education. And one of the things that's disappointed me most about the application of affirmative action in South Africa is that they haven't put a concomitant amount of resources into ensuring that the education levels are uplifted. And that has had an impact on the effectiveness of affirmative action, because the whole point is that white people held the those jobs by virtue of having received a better education. That was acknowledged. They were given better access to apply for jobs. And the assumption was, if you were a white person, you had had a better education and you had probably gone to university, which costs a lot in South Africa, regardless of the color of your skin. But even so, the better universities in South Africa were very expensive. So it was already a middle to upper middle class, upper class endeavor to get a degree. So 
companies defaulted to this position that a white candidate would be better educated in, in terms of being able to handle the job, which I think in the early days probably was true because obviously you don't download an iOS update of education and suddenly everybody's on the same level playing field. But they didn't use the power of affirmative action to funnel resources into uplifting the education level of the masses. And it's for that reason that it hasn't been as successful as they had hoped. And then you also had cronyism and corruption, which saw the best jobs, the better paying jobs going to the cronies of the government, which to be clear, that happened in the old South Africa too. (laughs) But there was almost a sense that they stopped the gravy train long enough to kick the white people off and put a similar amount of black people on it. The vast majority of South African people of color haven't really benefited from the advantages that should have been offered to them, I think, in terms of education. If you loop that background and we look at the Equality Act through that lens, what they're trying to say on this side about the Equality Act is that somehow previously disadvantaged people like the quilt bag community, women, people of color, are all people that need to be given a a foot up. And in this country, everybody gets pretty much the same education unless you went to public school. So it's not really an argument that you can make in this country that those candidates aren't as eminently capable of holding those positions. So I do think that's where there is a vast differentiation about access and your ability to acquire a job and to be safe in that job. So that's that's quite an important thing to add when people challenge you to say, yeah, but you're being given preferential treatment. And this is where some of that unconscious bias comes in, but we'll talk about that later. Do you think I'm on track? comparing the two, having been through the the new South Africa process yourself? Yeah, and I mean, I just don't see the, you know, because of the Gender Equality Act, you are given preferential treatment. I'm just not seeing any of that evidence because there's still bias and discrimination. It's almost as if that act is there to refer back to and say, but what you're complaining about? Here's this act where you are given this. And I don't see any evidence of that. You make an interesting point as well around the cost of bringing an action. And it's actually under the Equality Act that I'm bringing my action against the RFU. And it is very expensive. And the burden they do put in the act that so long as there's a prima facie case of discrimination, then the burden of proof does shift to the accused. But even to get to that point is thousands of pounds, you know, just to get to the point of establishing a prima facie case. That's where a lot of the problems are because certainly the trans community is generally, for all the other reasons, the discrimination and everything else we're going to talk about, they are generally lower paid on the margins of society and therefore don't have access to the kinds of resources that you need. I mean, I'm well paid. I earn a good salary in my day job, but even I couldn't have afforded that without the crowdfunding. So that's a real challenge. And even raising funds through the crowdfunding, I'm appealing to a community that that literally doesn't have a spare pound and that's a very big problem it's that unequal access to justice isn't it yeah and i mean like i think with any legislation it needs to be adaptive and it needs to evolve and you know it's been a decade since the law came into effect and we as a society need to continue to make sure that we have 
robust and that the law doesn't just become a symbol. I think I think the Equality Act is now leaning towards being a symbol because there's some fundamental flaws with it. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break and we're going to go get some messages from our very valuable sponsors and we will be back after this. Oh, I love this. We continue in moments. This is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. Many website owners don't like their website hosting company or support provider, but are too scared to move to someone else in case they lose their site or it affects their business. Based in Telford at Purple Prince Media, we will move your website to us free of charge with the best support possible. And if you're looking to start up a business, we're also here to design and build your website from the ground up with unbeatable prices on web hosting and dedicated servers. We're also certified Magento developers, which is the world's biggest e-commerce platform. So rest assured, your online business is just a click away. Drop us an email on hello at purpleprints.co.uk or visit purpleprints.co.uk to get started. Purple Prince Media, the local website company. Win £25,000 and help truck listeners at the same time. Enter the Rainbow Lottery and click Truck Listens as your chosen organisation. And not only can you win £25,000, 50p of every ticket purchased will go to Truck Listens. Please see www.transradiouk.com and click Win £25,000 for more details. Ever thought about having your own radio show? Well, now you can, as we're looking for presenters to join our team. No experience is needed and minimal equipment required. For more information, email info at transradiouk.com. Transradio UK. Tune in via DAB in Ireland. Download our app via your smart speaker or online at transradiouk.com. Malcolm here. Don't go anywhere as we bring you some more trucking, great music and jazz here on Trans Radio UK. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. So just before we went into the break, we were talking about some of the challenges and issues associated with the Equality Act as it stands. And Lee was just saying how, it, ironically, it is overdue for redress. I think part of the reason why it hasn't evolved is because we've had back-to-back single-party, one-party state with the Tories. And I guess that's made it extremely difficult to make any progress. And we've had Brexit along the way and the pandemic so it hasn't been a fruitful time to be talking about something which hasn't been on everyone's agendas until the Brexit debacle and now we're suffering deflection and I think even before that and I guess now a big aspect of that is the discrimination that LGBTQI plus people feel they are subjected to. What are those sorts of things that you're going on? Well one aspect that is of and overlooked is the profound impact that discrimination, particularly in the workplace, can have on a person's mental health. Today, it's spoken about quite a lot, mental health, and we've in fact done an episode on the show about mental health. But nobody's really talking about the mental health aspects of the discrimination that our community feels in the workplace. And we need to handle this gently and with empathy and understanding because there are definitely links between discrimination and mental health. These are well established and being sub 
subjected to prejudice and exclusion and bias can trigger a host of psychological responses. The anxiety and the depression to almost the post-traumatic stress disorders that some individuals are exposed to when experiencing these prejudicial behaviours. Yeah, and it's also a bit of a crapshoot, really, in terms of where you work. There are a lot of people that I've spoken to who have felt discriminated against on the basis of their gender identity in their workplaces. But I've been fortunate because when I came out, I was working for Southern Water and they were very supportive and they had a very strong LGBT ethos. I I think in some ways it is a bit of pride washing, but certainly within the organization and at an individual level, I never really felt I struggled. And I think a big part of that as well is that conversation we had a few weeks ago about rights versus acceptance, because I knew my rights. And obviously, Southern Water being a public sector, I guess to that extent, your rights are a lot firmer in an environment such as that. And because you have the rights, people are forced to accept you and work with you and can't be visibly seen to be discriminating but it was harrowing I must admit when I think back to it now if it wasn't for the support of my colleagues and the support of the organization I think I really would have struggled and I can understand why other people out there do struggle with this and one of the people I was talking to a few years ago was in a sales role and they were told by the company you know you're the face of the company we can't possibly have you going out and seeing our customers and that's just absolutely absurd And that came down to an individual himself. And then another lesbian friend of mine was telling me how she was having a conversation with her boss. And her boss, as part of the conversation, it came out that she was lesbian. And he was like, oh, there's no way you could be lesbian. You're far too good looking. And his attitude towards her changed completely after that. And I don't know if it's because he thought he had a shot and that's why he was nice Mm -hmm. to her. And then obviously being told, no, I'm gay, obviously he was quite threatened by that because she wasn't, in his mind, in his thrall. How's your experience been so far? I mean, so far, and I think I mentioned this before, it was only once that I felt when I worked for a predominantly Muslim company that my now wife was my housemate because I didn't feel comfortable exploring that because I understand the religious perspective of it. But in general, I've not felt direct discrimination or even indirect discrimination held at me specifically. But I know that's not the case for a lot of people out there. And while a lot of companies may claim to be inclusive because they've got policies and that sort of thing, it's not always reflective of what's really going on. When you look at those policies and those practices, there's still this hidden discrimination that goes on. Indeed. I was thinking as you were talking there about how I think one of the challenges in this country is the weakness of the employment law. And this is the first example I gave you of that person who was told that she couldn't be a salesperson anymore because she was a salesman and now she's a saleswoman and they didn't think they would be the right face for the company. And despite that, she really struggled. And again, it's a cost thing because in 
this country, the Employment Act only covers you after you've been in full-time employment with that company for two years. And a lot of people don't realize this. They think, okay, great, I've got through my three-month probation. Now I'm secure. But you're not. You've still got to get to two years before you can even avail yourself of the protections within the Act. And even then, they can, and what they did to this person is they said, well, look, we'll give you an offer of three months salary, or you can take us to the employment tribunal, but you won't be paid during that time. You can't take another job during that time. And it has a very profound impact on your financial capabilities. And then even then, you're still going to need some form of legal advice. You can go to the Citizens Advice Bureau, but they're just going to say, well, you know, you could do this, you could do that. I mean, what this person was told was, well, yeah, you know, your case is winnable and you'll get all that money back, but it's going to take 24 months to get it to trial. Mm. So what are you supposed to do with that? Take your three months salary and, and leave. And that's what a lot of people do because it's very difficult to actually engage this law yeah exactly and that's why i say you know it's a lot of companies claim to be inclusive and they'll say here's my policy on it but is that real in practice the truly inclusive workplace is one that not merely tolerates diversity but actively supports it and all the employees and particularly when it comes to mental and emotional well-being a lot of employees don't provide enough support for mental health let alone through something like discrimination and biases yeah and there's this nefarious thing called constructive dismissal where they put you in positions where it's very difficult for you to they basically build a case against you over time and that they can call on oh look your sales have gone down you know here's a warning or whatever and you can see that they're constructing this dismissal but sometimes it can be very difficult to actually put your finger on it and go to HR or whoever's empowered to help you because as you've said it's conjecture in a lot of the cases it's a sense it's a feeling and it can be quite difficult to prove i'm going to go back to the south african example here because it was one of the things when i first came over here that i really found very odd so in south africa their employment equity law is extremely strong because the big part of the anc was made up of kosati which is the congress of trade unions so they structured quite similarly well how to, how the labor party used to be so they were very pro very strong on employment rights And one of the requirements placed upon you as a manager was that you couldn't actually fire someone until you had demonstrated that yourself and the company had done everything possible to get the most out of that particular employee. And the assumption was if an employee is underperforming, it's either the manager's or the company's fault. Whereas here, it's the other way around. When you're underperforming, it's your fault. And I always tell this joke about how ironic it is that when a sport team fails they fire the coach but when a business team fails they fire the team yeah (laughs) so when people say you know workers like sports well it's not really because it's actually that is the point it's your leadership it's leadership that needs to be there to make these things happen it's not the employee's fault so yeah we're gonna go to another quick break and we will be back after this oh i love this we continue in moments this is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. Are you trans and non-binary and feel like drugs or alcohol are impacting your life negatively? Why not check out Trans Sober? 
We're a grassroots peer support group for the community, by the community. Find us at www.transober.org and join us online or come to one of our weekly drop-ins. We also offer other useful resources. Looking for business cards? Flyers? In fact, anything in print? We can help. Digital format specialists, www.printsmart.uk.com. Think smart, print smart. Did you know you can advertise with us for less than a pound a day? Call 0207 856 0584 or email sales at transradiouk.com. Trans Radio UK, a global radio station. The whole LGBTQ plus community can be proud of. Are you looking for an intimate and affordable graphic design service? Are you an indie author needing help to publish your book? Theodora Rosenberg is here to help. With packages for marketing, publishing and branding available, you're sure to be satisfied. Find out more at authortheorose.com. Trans Radio UK is on right now. Across the UK and beyond. Now, now. More of the music you love. Trans Radio UK. This is Trans Radio UK. Yo, this is Risk. Happy Pride Month, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Hi, everybody. It's Avril here, and I just wanted to wish you a very, very happy Pride Month. Please remember that Pride was always a protest. Hi, guys. Happy Pride from Danny. Have an amazing month of June, and be as queer as you can be. And remember, trans women are women. Hello, it is me, DJ Gloria. Happy Pride from everyone at the Trans Radio UK team. Please check our socials for more information. Trans Radio UK. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. So we have talked about the Equality Act and the deficiencies that we think are in there. And we talked a little bit about employment law and how easy it is in this country, it seems, to throw away good people. But both of those really depend on visible, obvious examples of discrimination but quite often that discrimination can happen unconsciously and I always like when I think about unconscious bias or unconscious anything I always think back to that learning concept which is if you think about like learning to drive a car you start off with unconscious incompetence you don't know what you don't know so you don't know what you don't know about driving a car then when you start learning to drive you gain conscious incompetence which is I really don't know how to change gears <laughs> and then after going to driving school for a bit you then get conscious competence which is you can do it now but you've got to think about what you're doing and you eventually get to the point where you're changing gears without actually thinking about it and it's not just because you're driving an automatic car so it was quite interesting with unconscious bias and as I mentioned at the top of the show I went on a training course around unconscious bias and I'll share some of my experience with that but Lee do you want to Tell us a little bit about what you're thinking on that is. Yeah, so I think, you know, in terms of unconscious bias, the way I look at it is that you have these social stereotypes about certain groups of people and individuals form their own conscious awareness about these social stereotypes. And it's like a silent influencer, which subtly shapes our decisions, our interactions, and this ultimately can creep into our workplaces. 
and it can influence things like salaries and promotions, employee retention. And while it might be hidden, as it were, from the perceiver's conscious understanding, its effects are not invisible to those who are its targets. Um, and I think one of the sneakiest parts of unconscious bias is how it can affect workplaces that say they only reward people based on their skills. And I think this is where it kind of like comes in because oftentimes while you say this person's got the skills or the experience or whatever we see more and more evidence that when employees are equally good at their jobs and have the same titles and experience and what have you some may get treatment better treatment than than others because of these hidden prejudices absolutely so have you encountered any do you have any that you're aware of so have you been perpetrator or victim at any point not me specifically but my wife has just recently gone through this in job promotion that she's just gone for and while she was more qualified and met all the requirements of the job spec had more managerial experience and had basically in effect been doing the job that she was going for a promotion to this job was like hers you know it was like a mere formality we all thought because she was basically doing it and she got passed up for it for a heterosexual white male who is less experienced than her so not directly but certainly indirectly yeah and is she doing anything about that does she feel that there is anything she can do well this is the thing it's and i think i touched on this in the beginning it's too hard it's too hard to challenge it because she could bring discrimination on a number of different categories she's foreign she's a woman she's a lesbian she's got a hearing problem so disabled and it will be hard to prove any kind of bias or discrimination against her and what is the point what is the point at the end of the day yeah because in this country one of the first things i learned is you can pretty much do anything just do it quietly the minute yeah. you rock the boat and you stick your head above the parapet that's when you start drawing attention and you don't want to be seen i suppose as being obstreperous or difficult yeah the boys club is very much a part of that how about you? Do you feel, are you aware of any of your unconscious biases? Are they now conscious biases? I mean, I do try to be more more mindful. And I remember a couple of years ago, it must have been about 10 or so years ago, one of the people in the company, and it was a very big company that I worked for, we'd gotten a corporate email saying, so-and-so is now to be called her. And that was the first transgender experience that, that I had. And it was like, the ridicule that this person went through. Now, bearing in mind that this was probably before the Equality Act came out, and I felt that I wasn't conscious about that bias that was and the discrimination that was was going on, and I probably joined in on the jokes. And now I'm a lot more conscious about my own biases. Yeah, I think that's the point, isn't it? It's that learning curve from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence. And I remember the course that I went on at work was very much around there is no pass or fail for this this is about understanding yourself so that you can think about things which do affect the way you approach other people and eventually yes it does become an unconscious competence 
but at first it is about conscious competence and I think that's really important I think people need to be aware even us as LGBTQI people we have those unconscious biases I joked about my unconscious bias about straight white men that's a very conscious bias but I, I one of the unconscious biases that I have is or that I had which I'm now very conscious about and I think it's something that again is quite prevalent in this country and does affect us as South Africans you highlighted the fact that your partner being South African may have had a, an issue but one of the things that I became aware of is I'm very influenced by accent and I think a lot of people in this country you open your mouth and you expose yourself and I do think being South African it's very difficult to hide the fact that you, you know people are always like so where are you from <laughs> And I'm always asked, how often do you go home? <laughs> and that triggered actually another unconscious bias that I had, which was that's how we used to speak to the people of color in South Africa. And it was always this assumption that they were transitory workers. And we were raised with the idea that they went home over Christmas. Yeah. And it's really interesting to actually get it back at yourself. Mm. And I see it now when I talk to my cousins who are in South Africa and I listen to the way they talk and I'm just, wow. <laughs> you can't be talking like that. I do think as well where accents come into it is that misunderstanding. So we are, South Africans tend to be quite forthright and it's often seen as aggression. And I really struggled with that when I first started working here because I was just asserting my point. But I think because of the Germanic influence behind our accent, we tend to be quite vociferous. And I really had to work to tone down the way I approached people. And it's quite funny because is this a conscious bias? I'm not sure. But I do often when I encounter South Africans who have recently, who are recently off the boat, <laughs> I just want to take them aside and say, you've got to like just slow yourself down, just think, talk softly, because it does trigger people and definitely in this country accent is everything to a certain extent we benefit from it because we're outside of the boxes we just we're immigrants but we're white so we sort of fall into the Tory category of we're okay we, we're the kind of immigrants they want yeah but the at the same time <laughs> well all the immigrants were paying tax that's not the point it's they look like us so that's fine but I was chatting to someone the other day who works in a doctor's surgery and she said you know the problem is quite often people of color, so people coming from Rwanda or Somalia or many of the African countries actually speak very good English. Their problem, their challenge that they have in this medical practice is the Ukrainian refugees because they don't speak English. So it's kind of, it, it's a weird sort of back to front thing where the people of color are discriminated against because we don't want that kind of immigrant yet most of them speak adequate English if not very good English so it, it's quite ironic I guess in some ways yeah unconscious bias it's something I would encourage everyone you know there's surveys online go go and have a Go and have a go. You'll be surprised at the things that you find out about yourself. And I always used to excuse my biases on the basis that, you know, if you've eaten fruit from a particular tree and it's sour once, and then you try it from a different tree and it's sour again, eventually you learn that fruit from that tree is sour. So that was my, I had this assumption that, well, if you failed me twice, you're going to fail me again. And never really thought, never really internalized, you failed me twice. I'm also 
also as much a common denominator in that as you are. (laughs) So if you failed, is it just that I'm not communicating adequately what it is that I wanted from you in the first place? So I think that's that's a very that's a challenge I will put out to all our listeners to actually go find yourself an unconscious bias survey. Because as much as we do, and it's obvious, you know, unless this is why passing is such a big thing in the transgender community, because if you can pass for a cisgendered person, you know, instinctively, it's going to be easier for you. It's when so we know when we like for me being a late transitioner, my voice is always going to be deep. I mean, it's not as deep as it used to be. One of these days when I'm feeling brave on the radio show, I'll share some of my <laughs> previous voice with you because it does make me laugh but the thing is I know I'm constantly misgendered over the phone and obviously through the pandemic we mostly did stuff on zoom and teams and stuff like that so I always had to make sure if I was meeting with someone for the first time my camera was on I had all my makeup done and I looked good but actually when I was working at Southern Water now that I think about it we were using Webex I think was the yeah Webex which didn't have a camera and that was really difficult I used to write up front say hi everyone my name is Julie and it was quite often it was like you could tell that they weren't quite sure what to do with you so we are victims of unconscious bias but I challenge every single one of you to go and find out what yours are because I think you'd be quite surprised all right well we've come up on another break So we're going to sneak off to messages from our sponsors and we'll be back after this. Oh, I love this. We continue in moments. This is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. Do you need someone to talk to? Feel you have no one that will listen. You think you've had too much to slide. It doesn't have to be that way. Lessons because everyone needs to talk sometime. Call 0800-009-6640 between 8am and 2am. Truck listens because everybody needs to talk sometime. Did you know we receive no funding here at Trans Radio UK? To keep us on air and growing, we rely on donations. To donate, please head to www.transradiouk.com and click the link. A regular payment of £20 will see you become a partner of Truck. Other options are available. Email info at transradiouk.com for details. A big thank you from all the team here at Trans Radio UK. The world's largest radio station for the trans community. Trans Radio UK. 
Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. So in the last segment, we were talking about unconscious bias. And I was saying how I think we all have it. Well, I know we all have it. And we all have a responsibility to understand what ours are. But obviously, what has come up in so far is it's very clear that in certain environments, people who are yet to come out tend to be reluctant to transition or come out as gay in their workplace. And I think you've got a word for that or a definition of that, Lee. Yeah, so the issue that I'm talking about is the closeted workspace, which is the alarming number of LGBTQIA plus individuals who feel compelled to suppress their identities at work because of this fear of discrimination. And I find that state of affairs to be not only unacceptable, but also indicative of a system that's failing in cultivating a safe and inclusive environment for all. And when I was doing some research on this, I came across a a YouGov study that had reported that 35% of LGBTQIA employees have hidden their identity at work 35 percent yeah and this is again because of the fear of discrimination and having experienced negative comments or conduct from work colleagues the other interesting thing that i found was over a third over yeah over a third of lgbtqi staff believe that their sexuality is a barrier to progression in the workplace so that just links back to other stuff that we've spoken about yeah absolutely when you first told me about closeted workspaces I was thinking how small my office is because it's about the size (laughs) of a closet but yeah seriously though I I think that 35% that's and I can attest to that because I think it is disgraceful that the Equality Act has been around since 2010 it's now 2023 and 35% of LGBTQI plus people don't feel safe coming out in their workplace. That is a searing indictment, I think, on the ineffectiveness of current legislation and the lack of employment law protections for individuals. And I'd just like to add that this YouGov report came out in 2017. So it's probably got a lot worse, these statistics, over the years. I think absolutely. And this is one of my sort of topical rants, isn't it? Is this clearly Rishi Sunak has a very conscious bias and with all the rhetoric going on in the media at the moment, I think there's a very real possibility that that figure is going to spike. Because one of the invidious things with our media is that it gives a cloak of acceptability to unacceptable perspectives. And that's definitely something which we've seen, we know is going on, and it's going to get worse where people, I feel it myself. And when I was first banned from rugby, I remember the first time I went to the rugby club after that and for the first time since I'd come out I actually found myself not sure which bathroom to use when I was at the club because to me rugby had become a place that was no longer safe for trans people and for trans women especially and with all of this noise and nonsense going on about the problem that the problem the government needs to solve and I'm using air quotes about trans women and what do we do with them is just it's bringing all of those people 
who had an unconscious bias, it's giving them the opportunity to have a justified bias. And it's made me feel really uncomfortable. I've actually stopped going to the gym because I always like to shower after I go to the gym. And now I don't feel that I can, that I'm safe there anymore either. And I don't know if it's just projection and I'm being hypersensitive, but I'll be in the change rooms and I think I see people giving me strange looks. And I don't know how much of that is, well, it, it's affected me to the point where, as I said, you know, rugby club, I'm not sure. Well, I, they say to you, no, don't be ridiculous. Of course you still use the women's bathrooms. But I'm like, yeah, but the problem is now all of those people who had an unconscious bias about this thing are being told that actually it's okay to be biased against trans women and giving them the opportunity to discriminate directly against trans women. And I think the next six months is going to be really critical in terms of our fight and the stuff we have to do to make sure we retain those rights. Because I feel like it is a specifically trans female challenge. We're the ones that you don't have Shi Sunak standing up there and saying, well, trans men don't have penises. They're not real men. They're not concerned about the trans men in men's bathrooms. That's not what this debate is about. It's specifically about trans women. It's trans women in sport. It's trans women in safe spaces. And I have lost two very important safe spaces for me, one being rugby and the other one being my gym. So yeah, it's a real problem. What do you think, Lee? Yeah, I mean, I think the the lack of psychologically safe places, particularly in the workplace, but not just to the workplace, like you've said, rugby in the gym for you. But these are like pressing, pressing issues that needs to be urgently addressed because you might not feel physically un- unsafe in the gym but psychologically you feel unsafe yeah you know yeah I think in some ways it's been an interesting learning curve for me because this is probably the first time in my life where I don't feel safe before I transitioned I was a big burly male rugby player with a successful career and wife and two half kids white picket fence etc etc and I transitioned into a very safe environment I had the support of my friends and family I had the support to my workplace and all of those rights that were afforded to me and made it possible for me to achieve those things are being stripped away and this I'm gonna say this again and I keep having to say this but I'm going to keep on saying it until everybody internalizes this but every single one of us who is out whether we LGBTQI whichever letter of the alphabet you are and you're out you came out on the shoulders of those who fought for those rights for you to be able to do that and we need to make sure we have each other's backs in this and we to a certain extent and I've experienced this also in rugby where trans men have asked me to stop rocking the boat and stop trying to push the issue because I said to them well what if I were to register as to play on the men's team and they were like oh you're only doing that because you want to make trouble and it goes back to what we were saying earlier about don't make trouble and they said to me look we've fought hard and we've won this right you know at least as trans men we can still play rugby we don't want you buggering that up and it really hurt it was really hurtful that as a community they are driving this wedge in they're driving a wedge between trans men and trans women and between trans women and the rest of LGBT and it's a 
real, real problem. And people like Rishi Sunak saying what he did last week, it's just abhorrent. And interestingly, because we talked last week about the political landscape, and I thought it was quite interesting that that was the line that he used to attack the Lib Dems, which actually kind of goes back to what I was saying last week, where I think the Lib Dems, absent our own political party, they do seem to be the safest place for us right now, politically. And I'm not a card-carrying member. I'm a card-carrying green. <laughs> Got my green card. But it's really given me a lot to think about in terms of the mess that the Greens are going through and their lack of a consistent position on the trans situation. Whereas the Lib Dems seem to have come out not as well as we would have hoped, but they certainly are very vocal about the fact that trans women's rights are inviolable. And what do you think about that, Lee? I think, I think it's quite interesting, particularly you know, if we have a look at our conversation last week. And I think a lot of people are feeling politically homeless at the moment. It's like, I've always voted for so-and-so and my parents and grandparents before them. And I think particularly in the youth who are naturally more socially conscious and aware, they're starting to say things like, well, who 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 represents me and there's not a lot of choice out there mm. yeah i do think it's patently obvious that labor will not stand up for us they are too happily embroiled in this ridiculous culture war with the tories and they're definitely taking the bait so as i said absent viable alternative i do think the lib dems are probably the place to be but what else can we do lee in terms of as a community making sure that we do more because because, and I know I always press you on this because empathy and being there for people is one thing. But what do you think we need to do visibly, broadly in society? What are some of the things that you think we could do to change the situation, get that 35% down of people existing in closeted workspaces? What, what do you think? Well, I think diversity is not just a ticking boxes, meeting quotas, you know, experience experience, particularly in the workplace, we should be able to have more enriched workplaces and bringing together a wide array of perspective and ideas and experiences. And the, the challenge is how do we go about creating that kind of environment where everyone, regardless of their gender or color of their skin or sexual orientation, feels valued and respected and empowered to reach their full potential? How do we take this knowledge and use it as fuel? positive feel to change our workplaces and our communities and eventually society. Yeah, I mean, how many people who are listening now are active participants of their organisations, LGBT or diversity and inclusion work teams? We have them where I work in my day job. And I'll be honest, I was just as I was listening to Lee there, I was thinking, I need to be more active in that. I need to get involved. So that's one thing that we can all do is make sure that we are visible and involved in our organisations that we do work for and make sure that we are constantly harassing to make sure our rights are protected and actually making a noise and being difficult and obstreperous. Otherwise, they're going to push us back, aren't they? Yeah, and I think let's not forget the importance of education as well. You know, education and understanding is very important. And the more we learn about each other's experiences from whether it's whatever different background you have, the more we can empathise with somebody you know it 
it's that old saying that goes something about walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. You, you know, really get that perspective. And do you know the you nice know, thing about? Thing. Do you know the nice thing about walking a mile in someone else's shoes? What's that? You're a mile away from them, and now they're barefoot. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like understand from their perspective. And, you know, that's kind of like the journey that I've been on myself with this particular show is learning for myself what it's like to interact with somebody from the trans community. I, I feel that this is something that has landed in my lap and that's something that can only enrich myself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the positive note we're going to go out on here is, yes, the Equality Act is insufficient for our needs in its current form, and heaven forbid they change that, there are still a lot of issues around employment law and the ability to retain our jobs when we come out. And there are issues with unconscious bias, both inbound and outbound. But we do have each other. And that I think is the most important thing is we need to stand together. We have to have to as a community keep watching each other's backs, even if it's not someone who's of the same sexual or gender orientation as you. If you see it, sort it, to use that lovely expression. Get involved. Don't let them win. And on that note, I've been Julianne. And I've been Lee. And we leave you in love and light. See you next week. Bye. Bye now.